Let's go ahead and get into Ephesians chapter 5. So as I was reading this text, as you'll see, um, there's a lot of references to light and darkness. And so, of course, like any normal person, when I hear about light and darkness, what do I think of? Flashlight tag. It's the only thing you can think of, right? When I was growing up, uh, middle school in particular, my friend Jay Kip, I don't know if it was just darker near his house, but that's always where we played flashlight tag. Maybe his family just had really good flashlights, but we'd always play flashlight tag at Jay's house, and it was a great, uh, a great time. And here's the thing with flashlight tag. You guys know what I'm talking about? You played flashlight tag? It's like hide and go seek, but in the dark, and if you get hit with the flashlight, you're found out. But, but the interesting thing about flashlight tag versus regular hide and go seek during the day or with the lights on, is that um, it doesn't matter as much how good your hiding place is. <laughs> In fact, what would always happen when we'd play hide-and-go-seek is there'd be that one guy, or sorry, flashlight take, the one guy who would hide so well that you'd literally not see him for three hours, and, and then eventually we'd, be, we'd have been done for like two hours, <laughs> and he'd come in and be like, I won! And you're like, what are you doing? Why are you... Why'd you hide so well? Like, <laughs> you didn't need to do that. It's so dark out. Part of the fun of flashlight tag is you don't have to care so much about your hiding place, right? So, that's the main difference. Flashlight tag versus hide and go seek. The amount that we care about the hiding spot that we choose. You're like, how is he going to transition to Ephesians 5? Stick with me. Today we're going to talk about the difference between... Those who live in the light versus those who live in the dark. And one of the huge differences that Paul will talk about is that those who are, he'll call them children of light, people of the light, people of God, should care a lot more about the decisions that they make, the way they choose to live their life, than the average person. Because it matters more when you're in the light. So Paul will say things like this. You should care about how you live your life. You should care about the morality of your lifestyle. You should care about the ethics of what you do in your job. You should care about the manner in which you use your body. You should care about the words that come out of your mouth. And you should care about stewarding your resources. But the problem is, Lots of times we act as though we don't care that much. So now even when you're making decisions in the darkness, you've still got to care. Or you should still care. In fact, it's not that the decisions don't matter when you're in the dark. It's just the repercussions of them aren't seen as well either. Let me give you an example of this. I went to this camp uh, called Island Lake, and I know at least one person in the room right now has been a camp counselor at Island Lake, and I think it's on the last night of camp, uh, they did this, uh, this sort of counselor, camper, uh, big game of hide and seek in the dark, <laughs> okay? And now this is why you should still care even if you're in the dark. This one counselor had decided to just hide in plain daylight. And so he laid on the ground and he sort of covered himself with leaves. But it was very dark out. And anyhow, the next 
day, we found out what had happened. One of the campers was searching, of course, for the counselors, and after some time, he decided he needed to relieve himself. (laughs) Not thinking much of it, who hides in plain daylight? He took care of what he needed to take care of, and it just happened to be in the counselor's uh, hiding place. So, it care, you should care even more about where you hi, what you do in the light, but you still got to care about it even if you're in the dark, okay? Now, let me give you a quick note to the not-yet-Christian in the room. So some of you might still not be sure about following Jesus or if you want to follow Jesus, and, and so I want to tell you how you might listen to this message today because uh, primarily this message is to the Christian that person who has already decided to follow Jesus. Uh, That's who Paul's writing to. That's who today's message is going to be about. However, uh, I think there's still something in it for you as well. In that, you can hear the reasons why certain modes of living don't seem to fit well with the Christian faith. And So maybe you've always wondered, why... Do Christians talk so much about lifestyle and living and do do this and don't do this? Maybe you've never quite understood why that's such a big deal. Maybe it's something that's frustrated you. I hope today what you find is an explanation of why how we live matters to the Christian. And so maybe it just makes a lot of sense. Maybe it even removes sort of a stumbling block for you of understanding why Christians talk about this stuff. I hope especially that you listen closely during the motivation section of this conversation. So what is the motivation behind wanting to care about morality and ethics and lifestyle and doing the right thing? Because when you hear about the motivation, maybe, again, it will clear some things up for you. So that's my hope. So if you're with me, look now at Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to start In verse 3, Paul says this, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. Well, we just get right to it here, don't we? Why does Paul draw out these three vices in particular? Well, in the Roman world in which he was doing ministry, where Ephesus was, these three particular things were uh, incredibly rampant, sort of sexual immorality, uh, greed, covetousness, and sort of filthy or dirty talk. That was very common amongst the Roman Empire. Uh, You read enough about it, you realize uh, they weren't shy people. Now, amazingly enough, these vices are prominent today, are they not? Now, either Paul was ahead of his time, or this is just something that humanity struggles with in any season, in any era. And I think 
it's particularly, of course, relevant to us today. Sex, greed, dirty humor, those are things that aren't hard to find in our society. Uh, pretty easy to find if you turn on a premium cable channel. Uh, HBO, Showtime. Uh, Showtime's three of their biggest hits right now are a show called Billions, a show called The Affair, and a show called Masters of Sex. They're unap unapologetic about it. It's just the kinds of things that we think, talk a lot about, and things that are a part of our society. Now here's what Paul is saying. Notice he does not give very specific examples here. Now elsewhere, there are more specific examples of what equates to sexual immorality. But Paul doesn't do that for us here. Why doesn't he draw the lines more clearly? Because he says, and he will say, the children of light know. We kind of know what's right and what's wrong. We kind of know. And, and so we always want people to draw lines for us. But Paul's primarily saying in this text, we just need to care more. We need to care about what is sexually immoral, what is impure, what is covetousness about our foolish talk. He, he's, he's telling us we know. And I'm going to do the same thing for us today. You might want me to draw lines, but deep down I think we know if we're people of, of the light, we know if we care enough to think about it, what might fall into these categories. Care about what you do with your body, sex. Care about what you do with your money and the desires of your heart, covetousness and greed. Care about the words that come out of your mouth. Now, here's what he says. He says, let none of this be among you, even named among you, because, look what it says, because it's out of place. Another way you could translate this is, it's not fitting for someone who has become a follower of Jesus. So when you have accepted Jesus Christ, again, this is not talking to those who have not yet accepted Him, but when you've accepted Jesus Christ, there are certain things that no longer fit with what you claim to believe. There are certain actions which do not fall in line with what you say that you believe. So what I call this is living the correspondent life. So that what we believe and how we act, they correspond with one another. They line up. It makes sense. So another, another way to explain this, my brother-in-law, Jaden, his uh, family on his mother's side, they're into uh, horse breeding, and they breed racehorses. And in 2009, uh, one of their horses, against all odds, won the Kentucky Derby. The name of the horse was Mind That Bird, and 50, one, 50 to 1 odds that they would win the Kentucky Derby. They shouldn't have even been there. He sort of had a, a magical run to the Derby, and then 50 to 1 odds, and he ends up winning the Kentucky Derby. They recently made a movie about it, and it's incredible, right? Now, if you asked them the question, well, do you believe in your horse? Do you believe that they're going to win? They might say they believe, Right? But then, if you ask them, well, how much money did you bet on them at the Derby to win? 
they'd probably, well, you know, we probably threw down a couple hundred bucks, but we, we didn't think, we didn't really believe in our horse that much. I mean, we believed in them, but we didn't really believe because their action would actually reveal how much they actually believed. I, I know they didn't put down much because they're still modest, humble people. They don't drive, uh, you know, fly around in private jets and things like that because they didn't probably think their horse was going to win. And these are the people that knew their horse best. So you can tell what someone really believes by watching their actions. In fact, their actions often speak louder than their words. And this is all that Paul is saying. We have to live a correspondent life. If we say we believe this, then it should affect our actions. Another, another illustration that I thought uh, that might help us understand this is um, thinking of just this word fit. You might say there's just some people that shouldn't wear certain things. It just doesn't fit with everything that we know that they're about. Uh, I was thinking about this with my wife. My wife is uh, she's incredibly sweet and wonderful and uh, and imagine that we were going to uh, a charity banquet. Um, you might even imagine that we're going to this charity banquet and it was for gun control. And she goes into the bedroom and she dresses up to get ready to go. And then she walks out and uh, she walks out and she's wearing camo, carrying a bazooka. And she says to me, Dave, this is not a true story, by the way. She says, Dave, she says, Dave, how do I look? Now, of course I say, you look wonderful, because that is always the answer when your wife asks you, how do I look? It doesn't matter what. Uh, but then you might just say, hey, I'm not sure this really fits the scene for tonight. I'm not sure this really fits you. Now, that analogy doesn't work for you. Uh, think about this. Uh, many of you know Ben Creelman. It just doesn't fit for Ben Creelman to wear skinny jeans, right? Just not the right. I don't even think he's here to defend himself tonight. But make sure you text him links to skinny jeans. Okay. Uh, or, or you might say this. It just doesn't fit for Janelle Abbott. You guys know Janelle, our resident fashionista. It just doesn't fit if you see Janelle walking around in a J. Crew sweater and khakis. <laughs> just something doesn't fit. And that's what Paul's saying. It's like there's certain ways of living and acting that just don't fit with following Jesus. But yet so many people live a life in which it seems as if they don't care to understand what fits and what doesn't fit. That's what Paul is getting at here. So in verse 3, Paul also says, he says even more about this, he says, uh, these things, these vices, these lifestyles, they shouldn't even be named among you. Now, it's not only that you shouldn't do them, that's important, but it's also important that they're not even named among you. And this is what he's saying. Say somebody falsely associates your name with any of these vices. That's a problem for the Christian. You say, well, it's not true, I don't do those things. Paul would say, that doesn't matter. He's saying they shouldn't even be named among you. 
So maybe someone makes a lie. Maybe, maybe they call you Greedy Dave or Sexually Immoral Dave or Dirty Joke of Anger. That should upset me. I should care about that. And you, and you laugh, right? Because it's like, come on, Dirty Joke of Anger. That's not you. But even if somebody intentionally or unintentionally adds one of these adjectives to your name, it should upset you because you are representing Christ. And he said it shouldn't even be named among you. In fact, you should be so far from any of these ways of living that if somebody did attach your name to one of these things, everyone in the room would laugh. Yeah, right, Dave, dirty joke. That's funny. It's just so ridiculous to think about. That's what Paul is saying. It shouldn't even be named among you. So, having said that, that we should not participate in these things, that we should not even be named amongst them, that it's not fitting for Christians to be associated with these sorts of things, we have to now look at, okay, then what is the right motivation for living in this way? Because if we don't understand the motivation, or we do it for the wrong motivation, we again fall into a, a trap that, that, that is dangerous, okay? So what is our motivation for wanting to live the correspondent life of avoiding certain vices that Paul says are not in step with, they're not in line with, they don't fit the, the truth of Christianity, the truth of the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ. Or another way you could say this is, why should we care about living rightly? Now, remember this, the gospel of Jesus Christ is so clear I mean, more clear than a proactive model's skin. The thing that we have to remember is that we are not saved by good living or correspondent living. And correspondent living is not a prerequisite to being saved. Those aren't the same things exactly, but they're two errors that people often have. They say, if I live the right way, then I'll be saved. Then God will redeem me. Or they think, I've got to clean up my living before I can then accept by faith Jesus Christ. Both of those are not true. Both of those are not true. But there is a motivation that is even more important, actually that's more true than those motivations. So, uh, look with me at verse 4. Paul says this. He says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, not crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, be, uh, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. Let there be thanksgiving. What an interesting other side of the coin, right? Don't live in this way, but be thankful. Well, that seems like they don't match up. In fact, they do match up. Let me try to explain why, because this is the first motivation that I want to point you to. When we live the thankful life, which is to say that we understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God, in His infinite wisdom and plan, knew that mankind would turn against Him, but He planned to send His Son as a sacrifice to atone for our sin, to be the sacrifice that put us back in relationship with God, 
that he would do that through his son, who is Jesus Christ, and then he'd raise him back up from the grave, and that through faith in Jesus alone, we could be back in relationship with God. We could be renewed, made, made whole, that all things would be put back together. When we really understand that, that God did that unconditionally, without, uh, without anything that we did, when we really get that, there is a thankfulness that swells up inside of us that actually affects everything that we do. That's what Paul's talking about. See, but remember to live with thanksgiving because then in every moment, in every decision, in every choice, in every moral dilemma, in every ethical situation, when we remember the gospel and what Jesus Christ has done for us, we can't help but care about making the best decision that we can make. That's the first motivation. Truly being thankful for the gospel. That's what propels us to live this kind of lifestyle. The one that cares about doing things God's way. The second thing that should motivate us to live, again, not our salvation or not even preparing us for salvation, has to do with the person of the Holy Spirit. So look with me just a few verses before at chapter 4, verse 30. Paul, again, after talking about certain things that Christians should do and ways they should interact with one another and with the world, he says this, verse 30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now what does this mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, we're told that when we accept Jesus Christ, that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, the person of the Holy Spirit, comes to live with us. And so He's here in every moment. He's here in the secret and in the public. He knows everything. And so anytime we make a decision that we know is not in line with who we have been remade to be in Christ, it hurts the Holy Spirit. We grieve. It grieves Him. And if you really care about someone, you don't want to grieve them. So if you really care about God and the Spirit of God that's come to dwell with you, then you should care about how you live because you don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. Third motivation. And this one is, uh, is, is really interesting. Those who have been redeemed by Christ actually have a new normal, or you could say a new natural. Okay? Look at verse 9. Chapter 5, verse 9 and 10 say this. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So Paul is saying you are new children. Your identity has completely changed. Now you are children of light. Now let me explain light and darkness because we're going to see that come in and out of this passage. It's, it's really the crux of the passage is understanding light and darkness. Now, what he's, what he is, when he says you're children of the light, he's not 
This isn't like a sci-fi novel. It's not like now you glow in the dark. Although that would be fun. It, it, it'd make flashlight tag very hard, very difficult if this were to be taken literally. But the symbolism is not the glow in the dark. God wouldn't want to ruin flashlight tag for all Christians. Could you imagine? That'd be terrible. What he's speaking about is our distinctiveness, that we're set apart, just as God himself is set apart. The Bible says that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. The Bible also tells us that Christ's light has indwelt our heart. So on one level, being children of the light means that we belong to God and Jesus And like God and Jesus, we are marked, set apart from the rest of the world, from all other gods, from all other saviors. We too are set apart as children of the light. And we live by a new, a different standard. So some implications of this being children of the light. First, the things that happen in the light, don't they seem a little bit more important than the things that happen in the dark. Our eyes are always drawn to the things in the light. And so the world's eyes, are they not drawn almost oddly to the way Christians live? Have you ever noticed that? How it seems like the world cares a lot about what Christians are doing? I don't think that's by mistake. I think God intentionally shines light on his children that people might be drawn to look at them. Now here's where that gets really scary. Once we're in the light, how are we doing? See, I think we'd rather continue to live in the dark so that it doesn't really matter how we live and what we do with our bodies and our money and our mouths. But God hasn't left that open to us if we're truly children of light. I think he is shining a light on us in a unique way because he wants people to look and see his glory through the way we live. And he wants us to be distinct and and live differently to bring glory to his name. That's scary. It's scary to stand up here with the light on you. So we should care a bit more how we live because we know that things in the light matter a little bit more than things that happen in the dark. The second thing is this. Because we are actually children of the light and not just children wearing light-covered clothes, which is to say we are actually reborn and remade, it's going to become, in a weird way, um, it's going to become harder for us to do wrong (laughs) rather than to do good because we have a new natural because we're reborn. And so at some point, I don't know if you've experienced this, uh, at some point actually becomes not worth it to live in the darkness. It's just too hard. Here's, here's how that works for me. Like uh, Before I was a child of the light, I could disobey a commandment of God and it wouldn't bother me much. Never thought about it. It wasn't eating away at me. But the more and more I become a child of the light, when I do something that I know is not in step with, that does not fit my identity in Christ, it eats away at me. Can't sleep. 
I gotta feel like I gotta go forgive this person who has wronged me or ask for forgiveness of the person I've wronged. It just becomes so much harder than just actually doing the right thing to start with. So it actually becomes harder to live contrary to your new natural when you are a child of the light. It becomes not worth it anymore. The third thing is related. Uh, Paul says this. It says, uh, he says there are fruits of the light. And the fruits of the light are things that are good, that are true, that are right. And here's what he's saying. He's saying that just like the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians, just like the fruits of righteousness that, that we find in the New Testament, the fruits of the light happen not because of us, but because of God dwelling in us, because of Christ through the Spirit living in us. And so it's actually Christ who's creating the light in us, not us who's sort of manufacturing it ourselves. It's just natural for these fruits of the light to begin to come out. Even if we try to, consciously or subconsciously, subdue the light because we don't like how the light is changing us or changing the way other people interact to us. Let me go, black, ba- let me go back to my flashlight tag analogy. Now, I did just say it'd be terrible to glow in the dark, but could you imagine if you did? Could you imagine playing flashlight tag with all your old friends and they're just great at it? They're just so natural in the dark. Nobody can see them. And you just stand out because you've got the light of Christ glowing inside you. And not only that, he's shining his light on you. And you stick out like a sore thumb. And you're terrible. Nobody's going to want you on their team. They're going to start staying away from you because you've got this light problem. And they want to live in the dark world because the game is played in the dark. A weird thing happened to me. Right about the time I started to get really serious about my faith, I stopped getting invited to bachelor parties. Interesting, right? What? You guys went? Uh, you what? You went to Vegas? What? I love Vegas. It's so cool. Um, why didn't you invite me? And I just, eventually I stopped asking because it was just too awkward. But obviously, it was clear. They didn't like the light guy around all the time. You know, it's not as fun going to the strip club with the light guy staying back at the hotel room saying, call me when you guys are done with that. It exposes you to be around the light guy. And so here's what happens. You begin to be, in some senses, ostracized from your community of darkness when you become a child of the light because it's just natural for the light to start coming out of you. If you let it, even if you don't want it to, it just will come out. And the old darkness, the old ways just don't work like they used to. So having said all that, having said all that, look again with me at verse 10. Look again with me at verse 10. Let me read it for you. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Okay, Dave, you just said that it's just natural, that your new natural is that the the, the fruit of light just starts to come out. The way you live just starts to change. 
Yes, that's true, but then Paul says, so try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And what we have here is a, is a beautiful uh, juxtaposition of the gospel life. Uh, the gospel life says this, you had nothing to do with your salvation. God planned it beforehand. God accomplished it in Christ. And God came and He changed your heart. Not because of anything that you did. Not because you were better than anyone. But because He chose you, He changed you in His sovereignty and He regenerated you. But you now have the opportunity to cooperate with God's work in your new nature, you have human responsibility to try to discern what is the will of God, what are the actions that are pleasing to the Lord. This is the brilliance of the Christian life. God gets all the credit, but yet we get to be in relationship with Him and seek to know His will and to live it out. He gives us that responsibility. And so, Paul says, so you have to be diligent and you have to try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. You want to please God with your actions and your lifestyles and the decisions that you make. You should all, they should all be pleasing to God. We should care about how we live, even though that's not what saves us. So, God, uh, so Paul gives us a few hints as to how we discern well. How do we discern well? Um, he's going to give us two big categories of how to discern well, but then he's also going uh, to give us some subcategories about how to do that, okay? So here we go. How do we actually do this well and discern what is the will of of God, what is pleasing to Him through the lifestyle that we live. So look with me. Uh, jump back up to verse 6. Paul says this. He says, Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Paul is saying this. He's saying your job is to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And there are going to be people, people that have titles that you trust in, that have names that you've heard, that are well-spoken, very, very smart, and they are going to be deceiving you about what is the right way to live. And so he says, do not listen to those who teach that the darkness is not dark. Many of them will use advanced theological reasoning to sanction ungodly living. It's just the way it goes. You'll never get away from that. There will always be people in every age, in every culture that are going to speak as from God to tell you that the darkness is not dark. The reason I tell you this is because it's been happening for thousands of years. Uh, about 500 years ago, there was a guy named Calvin 
And he was, was living in a world in which Christianity was the norm, in which the moral and ethical norms of society were so far from where they are now. And these are the words that he said. In all ages, indeed, Satan employs sorcerers like this. He's talking about someone who is one of these teachers who by unholy scoffs run away from God's judgment and who lull as if a charm consciousness not grounded in the fear of God. This is a trivial fault, they say. Don't worry about this, is what he's saying. This is not a big deal. Don't, you don't need to care about this. They'll say things like, fornication is a mere game to God. Under the law of grace, God is not so cruel. He has not formed us to be our own executioners. They'll say the frailty of nature excuses us. And so on. And this guy's writing back when chastity was still something that people cared about. You hear that all the time. Don't you? I shouldn't be so hard on each other. Human beings, we're frail. We can't help it. It's really not that big of a deal. It's just a game to God. We're under grace, aren't we? God will cover all of our sins, so why does it really matter? And it goes on and on and on. And oftentimes under the guise of the pastorate or the guise of Christianity or in the name of love. But, but, but here's the key. Look what Paul says at the end of chapter 10. Or sorry, at the end of verse 6. He says, don't be deceived because these For these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. It's popular to to have these conversations about morality and want to be very loving. And I understand that. But Paul's saying, if we're deceived by it, we're actually being the opposite of loving because we're not helping people flee from the wrath of God. We're allowing them to live in darkness. And again, he's talking here to those who would consider themselves Christians, okay? He's talking to those who would consider themselves Christians. He's saying, don't let your Christians, brothers and sisters, be deceived by this, because it's keeping them out of living in the light of Christ. And living in that way is actually leading them towards the wrath of God. Hard stuff, but important stuff. Verse 7 says this, Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So he's saying don't listen to the arguments that, that, that excuse ungodly living. And then he's saying, and don't practice with them ungodly living. Because your identity has changed. You're no longer children of darkness. You're now children of light. 
And so there is a real necessity at times to dissociate yourself from certain communities of darkness, certain dark patterns, because you want to live into your new identity. You know, who you associate with is often who you are. That's just a reality of life. When I get the most angsty about Grayson growing up, it's that I don't know who his friends are going to be. And I realize how important it is that who you spend time with dictates often the patterns in which you live. And so there can become a time when you need to remove yourself from a community because of the darkness in which that community lives. Now maybe it's for a time and then you can go back in and try to be light, but maybe you need to remove yourself in order that you don't get swept up into the practices with them. And then verse 11, Paul says this, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Instead expose them. This is an interesting one. And again, remember, he's talking to fellow Christians. So he's saying there, there's going to come a time when you need to expose the deeds of darkness done by your fellow Christians. You need to shine a light on some of the things that your fellow Christians are involved in. And you're not doing this as punishment you're doing this for restoration. So we can, we can, we can take a, a look at a couple of things that Jesus said. So if you have your Bible, you want to turn with me, you can, to Matthew chapter 18, where we see what Jesus says as a model for how you confront or expose these sorts of things in a fellow believer's life. It's very important that I say that. I do not think Paul's talking here about exposing the deeds of those who are not yet Christians. has a different responsibility to those who are not yet in the family of God. But Jesus says this in Matthew 18, verse 15, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone. So you go by yourself and you just say, Hey, I've seen this. I'm not sure it's in step with the gospel. I'm not sure it fits your new identity in Christ. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every change may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So he's saying, if he won't respond to you shining light on it, ask some other brothers and sisters to come and be a part of that conversation. And just say, hey, we've seen this. We don't think that it's fitting to your new identity in Christ. Now if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to even listen to the church, then he says, he need, you need to then begin to treat them as not following Jesus. So that's, again, Look at, look at what he's trying to do. He's trying to restore them into a fitting lifestyle, into the correspondent life. That's the goal, is to get them to live now in accordance with their new 
nature as children of the light. It's not for punishment that you expose. It's for restoration, which is why you try to do it one-on-one, then maybe two or three-on-one, and then, and then you say, hey, look, the whole church recognizes that this is not in step with the gospel. Paul is going to tell us a very similar thing in Galatians chapter 6 if you, if you wanted to look it up on your own. And one of the ways that you might think about this is the difference between conviction and correction. We have to expose things that are not in step with the gospel so that the person is convicted. Now, sometimes we don't even realize that we're walking in a way that is unfitting of our calling as children of light. And so when somebody exposes it by shining light on it, oh, great. I didn't even realize that I was living in this way. Thank you. We have conviction. And conviction hopefully leads to correction. Uh, Let me give you an illustration of this. Uh, Some of you know I I used to dabble in the arts of basketball. And uh, one of the things my coaches used to always tell me is, Dave, you never bend your knees on defense. You're just walking around like, you know, like you got uh, two sticks on an orange. What are you doing? Why are you, why, why don't you bend your knees? You'd be such a better defender. And I would always get defensive with them. I was like, I'm, I'm bending my knees. Trust me. I'm bending them a lot. I mean, it's like a 90 degree, and I would show them like this. And they'd be like, no, you're not. We were watching the game. It's like, no, and we just would butt heads. And then you know what they do? They'd shine a light. And this is how they would do it. They'd go, let's go watch the game film. And they'd pull out the film, and they'd usually slow it down into slow motion so that I could really see. And I'm, I'm jumping around the court like, like this, not bending my knees. And they, I had conviction. Now, they didn't just want to prove that they were right. They wanted me to correct something that was not in line with being a great basketball player, which is you have to bend your knees. Now, whether I did that any better or not, I just remember having many of those meetings about bending my knees, and I always thought I was correcting it, but they always would shine a light, and probably over time I got slightly better, but probably not great at it. Just not built for that. Very long femur. Okay. (laughs) So, okay. So this is what we need to do. If we want to live in a way that's fitting of our calling, if we want to live as children of the light, we have to dissociate ourselves from dark lifestyles and sinful patterns that are not in step with who God is and the gospel and and, and what he desires for us. We We have to care enough to discern what that is, okay? We just have to care about it enough to press into it. And then we have to help each other. We have to expose it in each other's lives when maybe we're walking in a way that is not fitting of being children of God. And again, our motivation is to live a life of thankfulness. A life that celebrates what Jesus has done to us. A life that, that shows that we care so much because of what he's done for us, that we care about living in a way that's honoring to him, that's in step with who he is. 
So look now at, at uh, Ephesians chapter 5 one more time. The very last thing in this section is actually what many scholars believe is, a, is, is an early hymn of the church. And Paul says this. Uh, I'll start in verse 13. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is what awaking and rising looks like, I think, today. For those of us who call ourselves Christians in the church, is we need to stop allowing ourselves to sleep and start caring about these matters of how we live and act and move in the world. It's really a matter of caring. We need to care more about being pleasing to the Lord and less about being pleasing maybe to those in the world, in our culture, who might not understand why we care so much about these things. So we rise from the dead to live the resurrected life every day. We're no longer slaves to the way that we used to live. We're no longer slaves to the darkness. We're no longer slaves to our sin. But we're now alive to the light of Christ. And that light of Christ is shining on us and leading us in the path that we should go. Just like the pillar of fire that was above the Israelites at night in the desert, guiding them along the way. So too, Christ becomes the shining light that leads a way forward so that our belief lines up with our action and we live a caring life, a correspondent life that brings glory to God and shows people just how true we believe the death and resurrection of Jesus is and how meaningful it is to our life because it affects every part of it. That's what we want to do. That's what Paul is calling us to do. That's my charge to us today, is to just care. (laughs) And that caring will turn into glory for God. Would you pray for me? With me and for me. I need this. I do. Father God, we thank you so much for your gospel of grace. We thank you that we are not saved by the things that we do or because the things that we do or because we did them before we met you or stopped doing them, but only because of the grace of God found in Jesus Christ through the cross and the resurrection. All our mistakes, all the darkness that may be in our life now or will be in our life or was in our past, all of that has been overcome by the light of Jesus Christ in his resurrection as he defeated death and sin and darkness finally for all time. Let us rest in that, let us celebrate in that, and then let us be so thankful for that that it changes the way we live today, tomorrow, and every day for the rest of our life. Amen.